All right, hope everybody's doing well this morning. This is our uh, final study of the summer. Then next week we'll have uh, our, our fall kickoff. And Brian will tell us a little bit more about that at the start of our main uh, gathering in a few moments. And then uh, we will start into uh, our Life Stage classes for the fall uh, in a couple of weeks. So more information will be given about that uh, in the coming days. So just pay attention to the website, email announcements and things like that. Uh, but glad to be able to be here this morning. If you need a handout, uh, we have those available. Uh, we've got some folks that can pass those out if you want one. Raise your hand. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn to two spots. We're going to be in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 as we wrap up our study. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. We'll begin in Colossians 3, so you can just put a marker in Ephesians 4. All right, well, I hope the uh, studies this summer have been helpful as uh, we've considered what biblical change looks like and how this takes place in our life, and um, I, don't, uh, I don't think we've exhaust, exhausted the topic, but I hope it has been thorough enough uh, as we considered um, how God wants to use his word and his spirit uh, to bring about real biblical change in our life. So um, as we kind of wrap up things, just a reminder of what we're thinking through here, that true spiritual growth, this real biblical change in your life In my life, it's all rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't just the entry into Christianity, it is Christianity. So you you don't just start with the gospel and move on from that. You go deeper into the gospel and understand that it is the Christian life. And living in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what it looks like uh, to grow in Christ and that, that is practically lived out in our union with him through daily repentance and faith. Um, so what we, what we mean by this is you understand, according to Colossians 3, that when Christ died, the old you died. When Christ was raised, you were given new life in Christ. And this union with Christ that you have is lived out in repentance and faith. And so you're understanding that your entire life is living in light of the fact that I'm dead to my old way of life and I'm alive to Christ. Repenting, turning from that, turning to Christ. That's my whole life is always turning from and turning to. And as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So your life ought to be rooted in that, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that you're united with him by faith and you live that out through daily repentance and faith. This repentance and faith we've seen is described for us in both Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, as well as other places throughout the New Testament, in terms of putting off the ways of the old man. So we want to identify the actions and the attitudes, the habits of our life that are present, sinful words, sinful actions, and we need to confess them, and we need to forsake them. But we also not only need to uh, turn from the sinful actions, but we also need to be turning from the idolatry and the ruling lust of our hearts. Because our actions don't come from nowhere. They come from what we really love and our affections. And so we must turn from the idolatry that is present in our heart. This is repentance. Daily refusing to follow the ways of the old man. You're refusing to give in to the flesh. 
So you're turning from sinful actions, turning from idolatrous desires, and then you not only turn from, but you need to turn to, and that is where we begin being renewed, turning to what's always true about God. So we look into the word of God to have our mind renewed, to have our belief and our trust and our love and our understanding of who God is and what he is like um, strengthened. We're asking the spirit of God to illuminate our understanding to the glories of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that our, our desires and our beliefs are redirected toward him. And this is faith, turning to the truth of who God is. Okay, so this is what we've looked at so far of turning from by putting off and turning to in being renewed. But I want you to understand that what we're talking about in this, this faith isn't just turning to behold the glories of God in his word, but there's also this idea of putting on the ways of Christ. So what we're going to learn today is this reality, that true biblical change in this putting off and being renewed and putting on, it it reveals itself, this repentance and this faith ultimately reveals itself in obedience. True biblical change is not complete until there is obedience in our life. And so true faith will always reveal itself in obedience. And that is the reality of the New Testament. So let's look at this uh, and and let's talk about this idea of what it means to put on the new man, putting on the ways of Christ in obedience. And what I want us to see in Colossians chapter 3 is this call to put on, you must understand it's rooted in a new identity that you have. Now we looked at this early on in our studies, but I want to draw our attention again to this in Colossians chapter 3. To put on the habits and the actions and the attitudes of the new man, it's not moralism. When the Bible says put on the ways of Christ, it's not behavior modification. We've seen this in the importance of putting off and having our mind renewed. This isn't just being good for goodness sake, right? This is putting on the ways of Christ because of who you are in Christ, And when you understand your identity, that directs your activity. So notice what he says in Colossians 3. If or since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so he states your your identity in a couple of different ways. In the negative way, he states it this way. In verse three, you have died. If you go down um, into the chapter in verse nine, you'll notice how he says that the old self has been put off with its practices. Okay, because you've died, the old man, the one person that you were in Adam, that's gone, it's done away with. That's your identity. But he also states it in the positive. In verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. And then in verse 10, and the new man has already been put on. You are, in fact, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And this new creation that you are, he says in verse 10, is actually being renewed. It's maturing and it's growing and it's developing in Christ to be more like Jesus. So then, with this understanding that you have died and you have been raised, that the old self is put off and the new self has been put on, with that in mind, look at Colossians 3 and verse 12. Because of who you are, 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, right? Because of who you are in Christ, live like it. It's what my my dad used to say to me before I would go out of the house to hang out with friends. Scott, remember, you're in Ashmore. (laughs) I knew exactly what he was saying, right? Don't blow it. The family name. (laughs) Um, If you're a Christian, live like it. That's what Paul is saying. So this new identity that you have in Christ, dead to sin, alive to righteousness, old self gone, new self put on, this then is revealed in new activity. So when he says to put on then, it's actually a word picture of putting on new clothes, putting on a different uniform, so to speak. All right, let's imagine that that you you have uh, surgery coming up. And you go in and you're in the OR and you're ready for the uh, operation and you're just waiting for the surgeon to come in and uh, he shows up and he's like, I'm your surgeon today. The problem, you're looking at him and he's got muddy jeans, he's got work boots, a cowboy hat, old ripped up t-shirt and work gloves on. He's putting his work gloves on and you're like, um, um, I have, I have some questions for you, right? You're like, for a surgeon... That dress is absolutely inappropriate. Same thing for a child of God. As a new creation in Christ, the old self gone, the new self has come. There are certain ways of living that are absolutely inappropriate for a Christian. You must put on the new clothes, dress like Christ. The actions and the habits and the attitudes of your life should actually be matching up more and more with who you already are in Christ. So that what's true of you before the throne of God in heaven ought to be becoming more and more true of you in your life here on earth. Remember, this is the process of biblical transformation. You're becoming less and less like the one you once were, more and more like the one he's declared you to be in Christ. And so in verse 12 through 17 here, he tells you about the actions and the attitudes and the habits that you ought to put on that would look like Christ. Compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love and peace and truth and encouragement and thankfulness. All this is the dress of the new man. You put this on because it's who you are. Now in seeking to grow and change, it's, it's easy for us to focus on the negatives, right? Don't do this, don't do that. You can't do that, you need to avoid this. Put off of that, mortify these things, and that's true. But just as we are to refuse the ways of the old man and refuse following the flesh, our our identity in Christ actually pushes us to not just refuse these things, but to actively pursue obedience and goodness and righteousness and holiness to display the ways of Jesus. Look how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. And I want you to notice again, here's some contrast of not necessarily your identity, but the activity based in that identity. He says in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, that you put off your old self that belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So I want you to notice the contrast here. The ways of the old self in verse 22. What does he say about them? They're what? They are, well, they're corrupt, right? They are based in deceitful desires, right? So when you think of the ways of the old man, you you look at corrupt and they're deceitful and it's rooted actually in desires, like what I want, what I feel, what I think I need. This is more feeling oriented is the ways of the old man. But the ways of the new self, he says in verse 24, is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the ways of the new man, there's righteousness, there's holiness, and it's rooted in truth. It's principled. It's not feeling-oriented. So instead of my actions being a result of how I feel right now and, and what I think I need right now and what I really want, there actually is an objective standard that exists outside of me. Namely, God, who is in and of himself righteous and holy. So righteousness and holiness are not subjective ideas based on personal preferences or culture or tradition. Okay? Trust me, you can go from one church to the next and you can find preferences and culture and tradition and people would rank that as righteousness and holiness. No, no, no. That's subjective, Rather, what we're talking about is righteousness and holiness that's based in objective truth, okay? In fact, literally, verse 24 would read this way, the righteousness and holiness of truth. So we need to think of the habits and the ways of the new man not based on your own preferences or the culture or your own uh, traditions and what you're comfortable with. No, no, no. You look to the objective truth of what God says. That's righteousness. That's holiness. So, so look at what the New Testament lays out for the life of a believer. One who is following Jesus. You're called to put on uh, Matthew 5, the ways of repentance and faith. Look at the Beatitudes. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 and the the characteristics and the quality of godly love. Look at Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, the ways of the new man and the habits there. James 3, the ways of godly wisdom. 2 Peter chapter 1, adding to your faith the character and the values of Jesus. Do you want to know what to put on? Then open the New Testament and read. It doesn't have to be confusing. It's objective truth, righteousness, and holiness for us. So do you see how becoming more and more like Jesus, it's not just an issue of, well, just really avoid the bad things and love Jesus. No, mature Christ-likeness finds its full expression in active, purposeful faithfulness to put on the ways of Christ. It's not just turning from sin, it's turning to Christ-likeness. In fact, I want you to notice how Paul describes real biblical change here. Look at Ephesians 4. All right, verse 25. He starts laying out some practical applications of this put off and put on and being renewed process here. Verse 24. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Question. When is a liar no longer a liar? When he stops lying? No, when he starts speaking truth. You see, the the put on is actually a call to active, purposeful obedience. 
Uh, Verse 25, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When is an angry person involved in sinful anger no longer sinfully angry? When he stops losing it? No, actually when he daily moves to reconcile and get relationships right. Um, Verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So when is a thief no longer a thief? When he stops stealing? No, when he actually starts working so that he can give to someone. Do you see the putting on is active, it's purposeful, it's objective? Verse 29, let no corrupt um, talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When is a foul mouth, abusive person no longer foul mouth and abusive? When he stops using bad language toward people? No, when he actually begins to speak grace into the lives of other people. That's the real change. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So when is a bitter, hateful person no longer bitter and hateful? When they start extending kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children. This is putting on. This is, the, this is what biblical change is eventually going to look like. All right? So people that are going to say, well, just avoid the bad things and love Jesus. You're kind of missing something. And that is the idea of obedience. Biblical change is not just a matter of moving away from. It's a matter of moving to. If all you're doing is turning from, you're just going to be spinning in circles. Right? You make progress and move toward obedience. Let me put it more simply to you this way. To put on the ways of the new man is simply a call to live in active obedience to Jesus. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. What Paul says to this church here, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right, Stop living like those who do not know Christ. Those who have not understood the revelation of God in Christ don't live like that anymore. And he goes on to describe what their life looks like. But verse 20, he says this, That's not the way you What does he say? That's not the way you what? Learned Christ. Do you know that that phrase, learned Christ there, is the same phrase where we get the idea of be a disciple. It's the same Greek word for disciple. That's not the way that you became a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple was one in those days who was committed to hearing the words of his rabbi. And obeying them so that he could become like his rabbi. It wasn't just, let me just hear what you say because I love to hear you talk and I love your teaching. No, no, no. It's like, I want to know this because I want to actually put it into practice in my life. That was how a disciple rabbi relationship worked. I'm going to hear what you say and obey it so that I can be just like you. 
So Jesus comes and he says, if you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to have to take up your cross and deny yourself. Stop living for you and start living for me. Follow me. And in in following Jesus, he says, you can't just hear what I say. You have to do it. You have to listen to my words and obey them. The call to be a disciple is the call to committed obedience to Christ. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll say it a little bit stronger here. Christian, do you know this? God is actually concerned with your behavior. If you're a child of God, godly, righteous behavior is the expectation. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created unto good works in Christ Jesus. Godly behavior is to be maintained Good works are to be evident in the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, I realize in our current Christian culture, the things that I've just said, um, you know, many people would say, okay, I get it, Scott. I do need to avoid sin. I just don't want to get too legalistic about all this. Anybody heard that before? Maybe you're thinking it right now. Okay. Well, let me just say this. If you use the term legalistic to describe someone that's actually concerned about godly behavior, may I challenge your thinking? All right? Legalism is attempting to make yourself right, to God, right before God on your own. Fact. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. That's all Jesus' work. So we depend on him by faith. But legalism also is this idea of you just develop a list of external behaviors without ever paying attention to the desires of your heart and the beliefs. That's moralism. It's completely unbiblical. And what we've been talking about all summer is the understanding of having our mind renewed and believing and loving Christ. But to say that it actually matters the way that you live and what choices you make as a Christian, that's not legalism. Because the call to good works and right behavior and godliness is on every page of your New Testament. You you can't get around that. In fact, Titus would tell us that the grace of God that brings salvation to us is the same grace that teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live in this world sober, righteous, and upright, godly lives. So the way you live actually is important. And it's not, I'm living in order to get God to accept me. It's not, I'm just adding on some good behaviors, no, no care about my own heart in all of this. No. No, it's actually understanding who I am in Christ, putting off the ways of the old man, having my mind renewed, and pursuing obedience to Christ as his disciple. So avoid the ditch that says, don't worry about your beliefs and your affections, just pay attention to how you live. But you also have to avoid the ditch on the other side that says, it doesn't matter what you do, just love Jesus. Because that same Jesus would say this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus would say, why are you doing calling me Lord, Lord, and not doing the things that I tell you? Right? If you're calling me Lord, that's implying I'm your master. Right? Masters tell servants what to do. So don't call me Lord if you're going to do your own thing. You see that Jesus is actually concerned with our obedience. So the call to put on is the call to active obedience, living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, um, my fear in all of this, uh, of what we talked about this summer, is that you would walk away 
thinking that this process of put off and be renewed and put on is uh, somehow sequential, all right? So as we, as we kind of close things up this, uh, this summer, I, I want you to not think of it in, in sequence terms, like first put off, then be renewed, and then put on, right? Because then you can get in this idea of, okay, I really got to do some putting off here and confessing and forsaking. I identify the idolatry of my heart and I really got to turn from that. And then I need to start being renewed. And then once I feel like that's all good, then I'll start living in obedience. That's not how this is played out in the scriptures. And the way Paul would write these things, you can't view it as sequential. I want you to view it more in simultaneous that you're putting off and being renewed and putting on all at the same time, okay? So while you're putting off sin, you ought to be pursuing obedience. And while your mind is, is being renewed in the word of God, you're constantly rejecting sin and idolatry. And while you're um, beholding the glories of God and his word, asking the spirit to illumine you, you're still pursuing obedience. It's all happening at the same time. So don't just sit there thinking, well, I got to move from one step to the next. No, this is not uh, sequential. It's simultaneous. This is repentance and faith. You're daily turning from, turning to. And it's the constant action of the Christian life, from and to, repentance and faith. So I hope that makes sense there. So as we close, we just have a few minutes left. I want to uh, give you a few maybe miscellaneous thoughts on um, biblical change that uh, hopefully will help us when it comes to putting off and being renewed and putting on obedience to Jesus. First thing I wanna say is this, that you have to keep in mind and commit to God's purpose. If you're going to see true lasting change in your heart and ultimately in your life, you have to remember and commit to God's purpose. Remember, if you're a child of God, his promise and his unbreakable eternal purpose for you is to glorify you with his son, Jesus. That's Romans 8, 28 through 30. He will glorify you if you are his child. That's his agenda, to make you like Jesus. So what we understand is true biblical change, it's not about becoming a better version of you. It's about actually becoming less of you and more like Jesus. That's the plan. That's God's agenda. And if that's God's goal for me, then his agenda must become my number one priority. If you want to see true biblical change take place in your heart, you must commit to this priority. Above all else, be like Christ. That is God's agenda for me. That is the goal that I need for my life. So I want to constantly be putting off the old man, being renewed in my mind, and put on the ways of Christ Do you realize that whatever you recognize and embrace as your purpose, it's going to dictate everything that you do? If you're, and it doesn't even have to be stated, you can actually just look at the way you do life, and that will show you what your purpose is. But God's given us a purpose, clearly stated, to become like Christ for the glory of God. If your purpose in life is to make money, everything else, your calendar, your your time, your wallet, your relationships, everything will bow to that goal. If your purpose in life is to be comfortable and relaxed, everything else will bow to that goal. If your purpose is to be like Jesus for the glory of God, everything else in your life will bow to that goal. 
Your time, your money, your calendar, your entertainment, your relationships, everything is on the table as a follower of Jesus. And when you keep in mind, that's God's purpose for me, and I, am want, I want to commit to that agenda, it changes a lot in your life. And true biblical change begins when you understand God's purpose and then you commit to it. So what would that look like? Well, I know for me, my tendency is to first, when I'm venturing into a new day or a new week, it's, all right, what do I need to do this week, right? So I have my to-do list, and to-do lists are great. Um, what, do I, what do I need to get done? But if I'm living with the ultimate goal in mind, then maybe my first question shouldn't be, what do I need to do today? Rather, rather it should be, in what ways do I need to grow to be more like Jesus? In what ways can I grow to be more like Jesus today? Are there relationships? Is there ways of thinking? Is there purity? Are there values? Are there priorities that need to be realigned with who Jesus is? And when that's the target before me in everything that I do, then what happens? I start to build my to-do list around my to-grow list, right? And my to-do list serves my to-grow list. I am to be like Jesus. And so I want to do what is going to help me become more and more like Jesus Christ. If I'm going to see God change me, then I need to live with his goal in mind and commit to his goal as the number one priority. To be like Christ for the glory of God. So remember and commit to God's purpose. Second thing is this. Cultivate a greater love for Jesus. Right? We understand that um, love is the root of all of these things. If, if we don't love and know God like we should, then, then we are just talking about moralism. So putting off and putting on is rooted in a belief and trust and love for God. So if you're going to live with true biblical change in your life, you must cultivate a greater love for Jesus. Here's the, here's the thing. As Christians, most of us um, I'll speak for myself. Uh, most of our problems um, isn't so much a decisive choice to rebel and go do my own thing. Say, most of us here are not going, God, forget you. I'm going back and I'm doing the ways of the old man. That's, that's what I'm going to do today because I feel like it. Now, if you are there, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But I say most of us, we're, we're not just decisively rebelling. But what we are doing is we're allowing ourselves to drift away from Christ. What happens is we just passively allow all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we just passively allow that stuff to infiltrate our hearts. And slowly but surely, the values and the ideals of this world draw us away from Christ. Slowly. This is why Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, you must seek above things and set your affections there where Christ is. Don't get swept away by all the below things of this world because it's not going to last. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So love him above all. Don't allow the things of this world to pull your affections and your mind off of the things above and you start getting focused on the things of this earth. But the unfortunate thing is a lot of us as Christians, we treat a lot of the things in this world as if they're neutral and they're just harmless. But can I just say, 
if you're going to cultivate a greater love for Jesus, you must be more alert and more discerning. To cultivate a love for Jesus, you must be vigilant when it comes to the things of this world. You cannot be passive with the things of this world as if everything is neutral. It's not. Never be casual with the things of this world. You must not allow the world to infiltrate your heart and rob you of your ability to love and enjoy Jesus above all. But that's the goal of this world. The world system is set to draw your heart and your affections toward you and toward this world and away from Christ. You must be vigilant. Don't allow your heart to be drawn away from Jesus. Let me just say this as a parent. Why am I as a parent so concerned with how much and what kind of entertainment my children are involved in? Because I'm an old-fashioned legalist (laughs) fuddy-duddy. No, no. Um, No, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to help them cultivate a love for Jesus. So you know what I'm always asking? What's capturing your affections? What's got your heart right now? And see, the more time you allow the world to just kind of mindlessly wash over you and come into your heart, your affections, whether you realize it or not, will be drawn toward the things of this world and toward, your, uh, toward yourself. Growing Christians must move past this question. What's wrong with this? Is that sinful? That's not a mature Christian. You know, a mature Christian is going, is this healthy? Is this helping me become more like Christ or is it drawing my heart away from Christ? Now, for some of you, it depends on where you are. Some of you can enjoy certain things more than others just because of where your heart is. So I'm not trying to give you a list of rules of things of do's and don'ts within this culture. I'm telling you, you must be discerning. You know where your heart is. Don't allow it to be drawn away from Jesus. Be vigilant on these things. Because if I'm constantly meditating and indulging on that which promotes selfishness and self-centeredness and godless views of life, how does that help me cultivate a love for Jesus? Well, it doesn't. So you must ask yourself, what's capturing my affections? And that's a routine daily evaluation that has to come into your, into your life. Be careful. Don't be mindless and casual with the things of this world. Cultivate a greater love for Jesus. Uh, thirdly, uh, I'll say this. Commit to daily obedience. Commit to daily obedience. Um, Isaac Newton was right. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. Right? So what needs to happen? That object needs something to move it, right? Get moving. And for many of us, what needs to happen is we just need to get moving. If we're going to see real biblical change take place in our life, we need to commit to daily obedience. Um, I think about, I looked at my vegetable garden yesterday, and I was just noticing how good I am at growing weeds. It's, it's fantastic. If you want some, I'll pick it for you and, and bring them for you. They're, they're really amazing. Um, And what what I'm finding is if you search Amazon, no one's writing books and selling Kindle versions of how to grow weeds in your garden. No one's doing that. Why? Because it doesn't take anything. It's just going to happen even if you're not paying attention. But if you want a lush vegetable garden, right, producing all sorts of fruit and vegetables, that takes diligence. You actually have to pay attention to it. You've got to make decisions. 
right? Same with a Christian life. If you want to see godliness and holiness and righteousness and truth cultivated and the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life, you actually have to make decisions. It's why Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1, you make every effort to add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. Because it's not going to happen on accident. Like, oh, how did I get to be such a loving, godly person? It doesn't happen just without you paying attention. No, there is decisions that you need to make. So I'll say this, passive Christians will fail to grow and mature into Christ-likeness. At every choice of life, you need to consider who is God, what is he like, what has he said. Okay, I need to live in obedience to that. So never wait to live in holiness and obedience. I'll, I'll say it this way. Ask yourself this question every day, all day. What's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? Okay? Then do it. Now. <laughs> Don't wait. Pursue daily obedience. What's the next right thing to do? That's, that'll be clarifying for you as well. Sometimes people are like, ah, oh, I'm just so confused right now. Okay, what's the next right thing? Okay, do that. All right, uh, and then finally, I'll say this. Engage in committed community. Engage in committed community. To help you grow and change, God's given you a few things. He's given you his spirit. He has given you his word. But one of the most significant and overlooked aspects of the Christian life is the fact that God has given you his people. And if you read the New Testament with just objective eyes, you will come to learn this, that your personal relationship with Jesus was never intended to be private. It's not just about you and God. You are a part of his family. Just read Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, um, Colossians 3. The application of putting on the ways of the new man are all relational. Within the body of Christ, their, their love one another type of commands, true growth will not happen apart from the context of loving, committed community. You need to develop relationships for the sake of daily exhortation and encouragement. Can I say, this is what local church is all about. That's why God has established the local church. And this is what church membership is all about. Right? If, if all you're doing is showing up once a week to some religious event, but you have not purposefully committed to that body and engaging in the life of those, those people, you've probably misunderstood what church is, and you've probably really misunderstood what church membership is all about. This is, biblical change is a community project. You're not in this on your own. God hasn't left you to yourself. He's given you the gift of a local church. So commit to that church. Join in with those people. We assemble together on a weekly basis so that we mutually edify and provoke each other to love and good works, Hebrews 10. But we daily exhort one another so that we're not caught in the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3, 13. So here's the question. Are you pursuing spiritually intentional relationships within the church family? Because this is the context for change as a community of believers, a local church. The Christian race is actually a team sport. And we need one another. And if I'm going to change, if you're going to change, we need one another. Because you have gifts that God has gifted you with that I need in my life. 
And unfortunately, I have things that you need. (laughs) And so we have committed community and relationships one another because we need each other. This is the design that God has set up. And and understanding biblical change, we have to understand that we've got to engage in committed community. So think about your relationships. Are they spiritual and intentional? Helping one another put off and be renewed and put on so that we become more like Jesus for the glory of God. Well, that's a, a... a look at biblical change. Hope it's uh, been a helpful thoughts for you this summer. And um, I hope that you're able to identify maybe a couple of things in your own heart that you're saying, God, by your grace, for your glory, I want to see these things changed. I want to be more and more like Christ for his glory. So help me to put off the ways of the old man. Help me to be renewed in the spirit of my mind and help me to pursue obedience to put on the ways of Christ. And may God change us from the inside out so that we would be more like Christ for the glory of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to change. We thank you that we have the confidence of your promise that if we are your children, you are going to change us. The work that you've begun, you're going to complete it. So help us to cooperate with your spirit and help us to get in line with your plan Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify sin in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to identify idolatry and unbelief. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you'd open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus and that we would follow after him and put on his ways. And I pray that you'd be glorified in our church. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.